Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Rick White is a gifted visual artist, multi-instrumentalist, producer, songwriter, and singer currently based in rural Ontario. Originally from Moncton, New Brunswick, White co-founded the powerful and influential rock bands Eric's Trip and Elevator to Hell, and he wrote, arranged, and sang songs for The Unintended, his supergroup, which also featured the Sadies and Greg Keeler of Blue Rodeo. After releasing a trilogy of records as Rick White album on Blue Fog Recordings between 2005 and 2009, White seemed to disappear from public performance and music making, tending to his vast personal audio and video archive and dispatching such things onto the internet from out in the countryside. Sometime in the spring of 2019, he and his partner Brian Taylor resurrected their label Blue Fog and have been issuing and reissuing records from White's past and present, including that year's The Opening, 
a collaboration between himself and Ayn Soff. Blue Fog's most recent releases are 2021's Where It's Fine, which was White's first solo album in 12 years, and also, in 2022, Elevator to Hell's Parts 1 to 3 Extra, which collects the hugely significant 1995 releases by that band, plus a whole lot of rare and unreleased material. Rick made his return to this show to discuss the history of Elevator to Hell and its various incarnations with Tara Landry, Mark Gadet, and Dallas Good, the songs on parts one to three, the end of Eric's trip, and the Exclaim Magazine biographical timeline I once wrote about White's creative trajectory, his and Eric's trip's relationship with Sloan and Chris Murphy, the return of Blue Fog and Nostalgia, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you fill your orders, special or no, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 666 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Rick White of Elevator to Hell, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Rick. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. Nice to talk to you again. Hey, you didn't ask me how I was doing. I, oh, how are you doing, Vish? Oh, th- thanks for asking. Sorry, this is a this is a weird thing I do where it's rude, but I also <laughs> am highlighting that people don't seem to care anything about me. <laughs> it happens all the time. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, first of all, as I often ask my guests, uh, where in the world are you today, Rick? Uh, just at home as usual. I don't usually go too far. Yes. I've been to your home at least once. It was lovely. Are you still out in the country? Yeah, same place, yeah. Nice. Been almost, uh, I guess, 18 years or so, or almost 20 years since nice. I came here. Yeah. Now, in the winter, when you gave me a nice tour of the grounds, and you had that really amazing, uh, I don't know what to call it, but it was like a track for your, uh, uh, what, are those, oh, yeah. what are those yeah. things called, those cars? I like remote control cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah, remote control cars. That's the fancy word. I thought yeah. there was a name for them, and I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah, do you still have that going in the winter, or is that more a spring-summer thing? Yeah, I don't I don't build as much or take it too ser- as seriously now, but I still, you know, play around on the track once in a while. I have so many little cars and trucks things that I built over those years when I took some time off from music, so I still have them all to play with, but I haven't really made, you know, much new stuff, but oh, okay. it's a good way to sort of just relax in a kid-like way you know in nature yeah do you spend most of like the harder winter inside building such things and then in the spring summer that's the big reveal to see how they're working or am (laughs) i is that is that is that your system yeah well yeah pretty much i don't i don't build as much anymore i've been spending a lot more time in the last couple years doing music projects and uh reissue things yeah which is why we're gonna I, i can't wait to talk about these things and uh because, yeah, there's a fair amount to talk uh, about in terms of uh, uh, Blue Fog and right. these issues and reissues. And as we're speaking, the latest is the Elevator to Hell, 
uh, reissue, if you will. It is a yeah. reissue, I guess, parts one to three yeah. as one new unit. And then there's also, you put out a fantastic solo record uh, last year yeah. where it's fine. So there's lots of stuff to talk about, and I can't wait to get to it. Before we get to that, though, I will say this. Uh, you know, in this period of isolation and lockdown, I've thought of you being out in the country uh, <laughs> and being away from people because you kind of were already isolated, I thought. Uh, yeah, have you noticed? Yeah, has there been much of a much. change for you? <laughs> no, I mean, like, I guess people that live live like me, really, it's not, not too different. I haven't, I, I don't really see anyone besides Brian ever anyway, you know, so yeah, I haven't really hung out with people since, like, you know, Eight years before the lockdown, so <laughs> <laughs> you as as something of a hermit, you were ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, well, but is it is it weird at all? Like, do you feel weird? Like, I assume every yeah. once in a while you go out into the city or whatever, what, what have you. Is that you can't do that as much? Uh, do you miss that stuff? No, not as much. I mean, like, uh, I guess I got done when I finished touring and stuff. I. I guess I like to see friends once in a while, but I don't have a lot of really close friends anymore. I have a few yeah. that, uh, but uh, I don't know. We, we we keep in touch a bit on, you know, through social media and stuff. And I don't know. I've never been much of a close hangout person in my life. I kind of grew up, grew up playing, you know, with my toys by myself and stuff. Right. Okay. Well then, so you, you're living the same dream you had as a young person, <laughs> really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I always need, I always like to have someone, one person at least close. Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, I've never been much of a big, big gang type of person. Right. Well, when I was a teenager, I was. But for, well, you know, as a teenager. You always have the big troop, the big troop of kids to hang out with. You were a skateboarder. That's a little gang. Yeah. And then, yeah, we had our little skateboard gang and our hardcore band, you know, and had parties all the time at my my friend's house, whereas where we'd, we'd play music, you know, and skateboard. And, right. And then that turned into, like, the Eric Strip period and stuff, so there's lots of socializing in that era, too. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you make, uh, and you make new friends on the road, inadvertently, in a way. You keep coming back, and you make, you, you develop friendships, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the more you get into, like, sort of, as you grow older a bit, and you get into smoking pot and stuff, you know, you get a little more just into wanting to be alone and make art. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. No, I get that, and... I appreciate that. Now, I um, like I said, there's a fair amount to talk about, but I thought we would start with the most recent uh, thing, which is, again, this Elevator to Hell uh, release, which is Elevator to Hell Parts 1 to 3 Extra. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't see this because of the way we're talking, but I have on vinyl Elevator to Hell, uh, which had no parts written on the spine or anywhere. Yeah, so it kind of ended up becoming Parts 1 and 2, but at the time it was just self-titled. Right, and then my friend got the CD version, which had parts one to three, and yeah. right is that right? Yeah, I think, yeah. and I have it downstairs in the basement too on CD. So I have that. Yeah, like a year after the first record came out, Sub Pop decided to put it out on CD, and I, and I asked, "Can I add a few more songs?" Yeah, and then they made a, te- a twelve-inch forty-five RPM of those extra songs, which became part three. Right. So that like the CD and that extra record all came out. In about a year after the first one. Right. But this extra thing has at least, what, it's got Mr. Sun. There's, how many extras, how many extra things are on this edition? <laughs> well, Mr. Sun was on the original first record. Oh, okay. Right. But it got cut off of the CD oh. because uh, I remember I had to talk to the lawyers or something and they asked me if there's any cover songs or anything. Mm. And I made the mistake sort of saying that 
I kind of borrowed the melody and idea for that song from a Mr. Dressup episode I saw. Right, right. And it ends up it's an old, a really old song, and it wouldn't have really mattered. But the lawyer was like, well, we better, you know, and then they ended up cutting it right off the CD. Oh, okay. Which I was sort of shocked about, but yeah, cause I put it back into yeah. the, uh, I put it back on the record where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And the extra songs are like from a, a cassette that I had originally recorded before the first album, mm-hmm. which is kind of like how I got the album made, actually, because uh, Joyce Linehan, again, from Sub Pop, who was like our East Coast rep, sort of, she was tour managing us on an Eric's Trip tour, and I had brought that tape along, and she had heard it, and she really was flipping out about it. You know, she thought it was funny and great, and she was into it. Yeah, yeah. And she talked Sub Pop into putting it out on a on a 12-inch, so. By the time they ended up putting that out, though, I sent them a new master that kind of cut some of the songs off the tape and added new songs to it. And so there was a bunch of, there was, you know, eight leftover songs from that tape, eight or nine. Hmm. So I put those on the uh, side four. Right. Because they're pretty much the same period as the first album. Yeah, I, I really appreciate, you, as you, I think you know, I appreciate your dedication to just archiving material, Whatever it is, it's not just music. It's uh, posters. <laughs> yeah. It's vid- it's film. It's great. Um, I- well, years years ago, someone saw I was doing a discography of my for me and all my stuff online somewhere, and I had sent him a copy of just a cover of that tape cassette. So it kind of got out into the world, and now it's even on discogs. Oh, so over the years, I've had people writing me saying, you know, can we get that tape? You know, can you put that tape on yeah. Bandcamp because they knew it existed now, and uh, yeah, it really was never. I'd never sold it at the time, so it was nice to finally put those songs on here. So, and the and the you know I put the copy of the cover of the cassette in the record just so people could finally have that cassette if they wanted it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I want to again. I want to get into the sort of logistics stuff that you and Brian are doing with Blue Fog and all of these amazing releases. That I think I've got most of them. I've ordered most of them. I think. Yeah, yeah. And Thank um, you. no, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. They're great. But what I want to get to first, though, is just to get some establishment of where Elevator to Hell came from, because uh, some people listening will know you uh, know that. Elevator Hell was sort of coincided with uh, your other band, Eric's Trip. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the emergence? Oh, and the other thing that we can get to, because it's I think it's interesting, is the name of the project changed a number of times, oh, yeah. which is a fascinating... You're not the only one to do such a thing, but that's fascinating in itself. But before we get to any of that stuff, in your conception, why did Elevator to Hell emerge when it did uh, while you were still in Eric's Trip? I don't know. I guess I was just writing so many songs, you know, and uh, whenever Eric Strip needed songs, I would just, uh, you know, I'd always take a few that I thought, oh, this this could be good, you know, with Mark drumming and maybe Julie could sing these parts, you know. And so I would just bring certain songs to Eric Strip. But there was always about, you know, twice as many left over. So I would just make, you know, make tapes for fun for my friends. Like, it never, I wasn't really something I was selling. Yeah. But I guess once Julie, you know, started, she made a solo seven inch and Chris started doing Moonsocket and mm-hmm. and they started moving away. Like they had their own families now, like starting their own families and moved to different cities, you know, or different parts. So I was, I don't know. I just thought, well, I'm going to put this record out. You know, it was when I did that first elevator record, it was pretty much around the time when we were working on Forever Again, our second full album of right. Eric's trip. And uh, Julie started was pregnant for her first kid, and I think some more time got kind of put into that. 
into Elevator because I really, really couldn't tour or do anything for that for that album too much. Yeah. So kind of yeah, took, just took over. You know, I had a lot of songs and it was a little more poppy. Like I would try to make Eric's trip heavier at the time, sort of. Yeah, exactly. It is poppier. As I was listening back to it, uh, you know, I remember at the time thinking it had a kind of classic rock orientation, if you will. Uh, yeah. Except that it was sort of. I remember hearing it when it came out and just thinking, this is incredible. But it sounds both like sturdy and broken, which I mean, that was kind of your aesthetic at the time as well. I should say that. Yeah. But. I mean, and people ended up liking it more than Eric's trip at the time, which was a little shocking a bit to me and uh, sort of threw my mind more toward that in a way. Yeah, it did resonate. I remember that too. I remember you doing a tour with Sloan. I saw you, I saw, I saw Elevator to Hell a bunch of times actually. And, uh, I saw you play at a house in Kitchener, and I saw you play at the... Actually, yeah. you know, Rick, I don't know. I think I've expressed this to you before. Uh, you are <laughs> probably in in the... You're probably one of the first... I would say you're like the second or third person or, or entity I ever interviewed. Um, <laughs> you guys did a show at the Albion Hotel in Guelph. Yeah, I think you mentioned that to me before. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's one so, of our... Probably one of our first tours as a three-piece, like, as a band. Yeah, yeah, so it was meaningful to me to get to do that. I don't remember how I did or anything like that. It was it was all it was all new to me, and and I'm still doing it. So and you're still doing it. So it's great. I'm happy about yeah. that. But uh, all cool. this to say, yeah, it was resonating with people. But um, one of the things I want to ask you about is the, the name part of it. Hell, mm. elevator to hell. Uh, <laughs> that is it's sort of dark, uh, and yet the music has like we were saying it, it's a little it's a maybe a little poppier I, I always thought of like at the time I remember thinking oh this sounds like a Alan Parsons project or something do you know that, do you know <laughs> yeah, that right. yeah well I was yeah because I was doing like kind of that some of the songs even you know have that mellow sort of 70s sound to them with the cheesy keyboards and things <laughs> yeah yeah but it's your own thing like it was it's really of the time that it came out yeah. I think but it did I'm not sure why I gave it such a dark name you know in yeah. a way with this kind of creepy cover you know with the eyes <laughs> Whited out and stuff, because <laughs> it's it's not quite it's too dark for psychedelia in a way, right. but but I know you, that's there too, right? In the sound, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess elevator psychedelia has always sort of had this bit of a creepy kind of gothy element to it in a way. Yeah. Do you know? And again, the the name changed. Why did the name change? Were you, were you starting to feel like the hell part was too dark? Is that why the the band's name? So just so people know, it yeah became, a little bit was it elevator because yeah, yeah but even by irreconciliation. People can probably notice on the original back cover it said Elevator Through Hell. Yes. I was already starting to try to, I wanted to slowly change it, you know, but Sub Pop was always a bit one step behind. Yeah. So they would put Elevator to Hell on the spine. Right. And then by like the the such, we were Elevator Through, but, you know, it kept kind of, I don't know, I was because I was just trying to evolve it away from the hell, like you, like you said, like <laughs> not going not going to it, but going through it, and then just sort of being beyond it. <laughs> what is the distinction? I, I know it. I know. I know how English works, so I know the yeah. distinction between to and through. But there's still hell. So I just do you do you what what was it about the the hell notion that first came to mind, and then why? I think we've established maybe why you wanted to get out of it. But the to to through <laughs> thing is kind of it's funny on some on some level. It's typographic funny that yeah. it was two and then through but still hell so i'm just curious about the hell do you believe in hell do you think hell's a real place uh, no i don't know not really i mean i just feel like it's a good symbolism you know for i find everything is very duality or whatever you know like in the world yeah that uh, the earth itself's probably heaven and hell but 
Yeah. I guess I was seeing myself in a dark place a bit for what I knew as dark at that period in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't very much. It was like, you know, maybe like what, what happened between Julie and I. Yeah. You know, that was kind of me betraying her in a way, you know, like how it came. Yeah, yeah. How you can look back at it. And getting into like drugs and I wasn't really getting into drugs, but even smoking pot at that time, I felt like, well, this is bad, you know, like I'm being, I'm being bad. <laughs> oh, you, you yourself felt like you were becoming some sort of dark Lord of the underworld. Yeah. There was, yeah, other aspects of my life too. I just felt like, you know, moving, becoming more of a, lo- a loner again. It was like I was on the wrong, some dark path or something I was leading myself into. Yeah. But then I thought I need to like, you know, purposely sort of go through it. And I don't know, I always treated my art and my music kind of like uh, really biographical, you know. So I changed the name to try to, I always figure I can lead myself through and out of things if I use my thoughts and <laughs> my art. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Is there, I used to, uh, when I used to put on shows in Guelph, I would mm-hmm. hang up posters and whenever I would do a show for the band The Burning Hell, there oh, would right. be resistance from, usually the shops would know I would come by every couple of weeks or once a month yeah. with posters. And they're like, yeah, 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 put them up, no problem. Did you get any <laughs> flack or pushback uh, for calling your band Elevator to Hell by anyone or or oh, also yeah. like... or, Not or really, also no. No? Nothing? No. Okay, just curious. I remember in the early Eric Strip days, we got flack in uh, Halifax because we used to do posters with that little angel girl. Yes, yes. And there's, a, I think, the Warm Girl record or something has her... She's like sticks kind of tied to her, so there's like ropes around her, but it's just holding her like stick wings on kind of, but... Yep. Some people got... Uh, at the university, I remember getting mad at us about this character, and we're like, "Well, it's just supposed to represent like my guardian angel and stuff like that." You know, it's not. They did just kind of got the wrong meaning from it. But weird. I'm looking at the Warm Girl cover right now on my computer, uh, right? Because you 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 reissued or issued that on vinyl. It had never yeah. been on vinyl before, right? Is that right? No. Yeah, that was another one we thought I thought would be cool if it came out, and people. I'm glad people liked it. Yeah, no, it's it's great. But yeah, I'm looking at it and I don't see the issue per se. But again, I don't see, sometimes I don't see issues where other people see issues. People like to find issues sometimes. Yeah. And so. I guess just using like a, they <laughs> figure using a naked girl is like, even though it's a cartoon <laughs> of an angel kind of girl. Right. Oh, I see. They thought it was exploit, ex, exploitative or something. Yeah, like I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, so you 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 were going through a dark period. Uh, did people think Elevator Hell also like? Did people think it was like a metal band or something? Because that's usually where people's <laughs> minds go when they see Hell and music. They think a not ACDC is not metal, but they think of like that darker edge. Did people? And, yeah. and yet you, the music you say was popular. So I'm just curious if the people were like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, I know. Well, well, I think they liked that one. I think they thought of us more metal. After, when Ericster broke up and Elevator by Erie, you know, by the time we started touring with Mark after this record, Elevator did get a lot more heavy than Ericstrip was, like in a different kind of way. We were more, Ericstrip was fast and noisy, you know, but we were quite poppy. Yeah. yeah. Where Elevator turned into more of a, with Mark's influence, you know, got a little more metal. Yeah, totally. Now, in a way, so some fans of Ericstrip didn't like Elevator as much because they thought we were going a little too too metally. <laughs> people don't like when the thing they like breaks up and then people yeah. do other things. Like you've experienced this. You've done some ele- uh, rather Eric's trip reunions 
And the response mm. is always, I thought, huger than it was the last few times I saw Eric's trip at the time. Did you find that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last year of Eric's trip, really, we were kind of losing momentum, I thought. Yeah. It, well, we were starting to break into the States a bit, but in Canada, it was kind of getting, it wasn't as high as it was in 93, 94, <laughs> which was pretty big. Yeah. There was frustration. I remember I saw you guys play at the Volcano in Kitchener. Again, forgive right. me if I've told you these stories before, oh. but on the Forever, or no, for the, um, no, for Purple Blue. Uh, and right. I think by the time, didn't you guys release that record knowing you were breaking up? Like you were, you didn't yeah. want, yeah. Well, it didn't come out till, well, I think when we were recording it, we knew it was going to be our last record and it came out in like the early spring 96 or something. And we had planned some tours yeah, in the States and in uh, Canada, but we ended up breaking up on the tour because I had a hard time just realizing, thinking like, well, I did, I'd rather get on with whatever I'm going to do next, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fair like enough. I was milking a, whatever that's called, milking a dead cow or whatever yeah i believe that's the expression yeah <laughs> you're the you're the guy who lives out in the country you should know these expressions i don't I know. know i think that's right beating a dead horse that's the yeah, other that's one probably just, that. it's milking just, a dead i cow. don't think you milk a dead cow i think it's done <laughs> the the milk production is done when they are yeah i'm yeah, pretty sure that's how that works all i was getting at though is i remember the frustration on stage chris thompson uh basically destroyed his gear and for years i probably still have it somewhere i have mm. a piece of his trainer amp the, the logo, like the, the <laughs> oh, right. decal, like it came off. He smashed something. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, what is happening? Like, I don't think that was normal for you guys to do that. I'd seen you before. So I, it just felt like, I think change was in the air is all I'm getting at. And uh, Yeah, and we and we didn't really fight. I think we just held all our own frustrations in, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Like Chris and I have always got along good, but I, I, but I think he was frustrated too. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't mean to go down this dark road with elevator to hell and all the hellish <laughs> aspects of that time, but part of the story. That it is. A... It is definitely part of the story. Now, are there things on this reissue that surprised you in revisiting them? Are there any songs or anything like that where you're like, "Wow, I was really open," or "Wow, I can't believe I did that." <laughs> yeah. No, I, I still really like this record. I was like, I was kind of into uh, you know, the extra songs again, hearing those again. And kind of remastering those, like they're uh, they're just as good. I can't, I can't, I don't know why I cut them off the original. I guess because I had new songs, but uh, yeah, I find them them just as good as the rest of the record. Like so, do, do any of the does do any of the extra songs stick out to you in particular about your mindset at the time? Just like um, what you were trying to express. I mean, yeah. Well, I guess they they all kind of do in the same way. It's like they're all pretty personal. Yeah, songs about the time. There's a song that I had... I'm trying to check the... Yeah, sorry, you can dig in there. I'm looking at the cover that, like, uh, yeah, I don't know, they're all... It's hard to pick out a, a specific one, but they all kind of represent just very part of that time in my life. So it's, hearing them all again kind of, you know, brings back, it's like reading an old diary or something. Well, I was less familiar with things like Gay Soul, for example. Uh, right. And I just hadn't... I, what is it possible that I missed it? Was it on something? Or is that... That's one of the new things, right? Yeah, no, that was just on that cassette. That that song actually comes from earlier. It's like, a, I think in 93 or something, I had made a tape of all Casio songs, you know, with my little Casio keyboard. Yeah. And uh, I think that's from one of those songs. Do you have any perspective on it now? Like, th- that's just one that stuck out. They're all like, they all stick out for me. And I'm, but I'm, I they're I, new to I, me. Like, I was, it's weird. They're new to me because I just didn't get this tape, I guess. And uh, yeah. so I'm just living with them for the first time as I as I find time somehow in my 
bustling house to put on the vinyl. I did I did do the download thing finally this week. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to find time to listen to it. But that one really just sort of, I was like, oh, I, that's an interesting thing to say and an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And that comes from, I think, a conversation back in the day when John Clater and I were having just about joking around about people turning gay, you know, and the idea of that. Right, right. So it's kind of youthful naivete in a way, or or just like yeah. it was new at the time. I don't know. I, I half believe both. I have, you know, I believe some people that you know. I don't know. The idea of a gay soul is kind of strange because I find like a soul is just is genderless, you know. Yeah. yeah, 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 and sexless and whatever. And I think we make our own decisions on what we want to do. But but it's a it's a hot topic with some people. <laughs> but I mean, back when I wrote the song, we was I was just joking, you know, about the idea of. Of it, all my friends are turning gay. And yeah, and I like, and you you made this interesting <laughs> choice of spelling out the word. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> in this very, it's it's sort of fun and funny in a, in a sense. Like it really sticks out. I know. Yeah. So that's one song I thought I've always thought was funny, but I always I kind of wondered how people were going to take nowadays in a way. But hopefully they'll take it as lightheartedly as as I meant it. Yeah, I think they will. It's just that I'm just saying from my perspective as a fan, I was like, oh, I just have not heard this before. And it's an interesting <laughs> attack and approach to a Rick song is what I thought, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's sticks. We actually, I, I did some shows with Moonsocket back in the day in uh, probably 95 or 6. Yeah. And uh, we, I think that was part of the set. I covered a couple of my songs and I think we did that one and that Down My Throat song yeah. that's there too. Yeah. And then Chris would do a bunch of Moonsocket songs. Okay. Yeah, so I was reminded of that recently that we did that song live, actually, but it was kind of a heavy, punky version of it, not a Casio one. <laughs> yeah. So unlike uh, Eric's trip, Elevator to Hell sort of stopped. And right. to my knowledge, like, unless I missed something, I don't remember it really coming back. Like, Eric's trip would do the odd reunion show or tour, like, I'm, is what I'm getting at. Did, Ele- right. did Elevator reconvene at any point after after it was sort of initially done, if you will? No. No. no we, uh, I guess because we kind of went our separate ways more. I, had, I was living up here, and Mark's out in the east, and Tara ended up soon after moved out to BC, so it just sort of all, yeah. we got too far apart. Okay. Plus, Mark and Tara were really quite fighting at the end there, so... Yeah, we've talked about that. I don't know if you know this, Rick, but somebody recirculated that uh, giant thing I did for Exclaim, the uh, the Eric's yeah, trip yeah. timeline, which, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I they it was this fellow, Jesse Locke, and he, uh, or they uh, posted it on the thing, and I wrote to say, you know, I he, they were just marveling at it. They, they I don't think they'd seen it before. And for some, pe- <laughs> yeah. for some people, that's about as much information. I, I don't remember when it came out. I want to say 2009 or 10 or whatever it was. And for some people, yeah. that is a definitive look at that band. But I wrote to... Yeah, I, it's great. It's probably the most detailed sort of, you know, facts about us. There's, I think we had a good talk that day and we were re- re- revealing kind of a lot of facts that I think people didn't really know about much. Yeah, I was I was happy with it at the time. And I think there's subsequently been a book or two, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how those... Uh, oh, yeah. There was an extra book, yeah, a guy from Moncton. I was kind of a, didn't really want him to do it. Oh, just because I, I would rather do stuff myself. And he, he was kind of claiming more to be a part of the thing than he was, oh, you know. I so yeah, I ended up eventually saying, you know, like you can't do it as as a definitive, you know, thing about us. You have to write it from your perspective, you know, if you want I to do see. this. And he yeah. and he did. Yeah. 
And I, I managed to read the book three or four years later, and nothing bugged me too much, you know, but it was a little weird. <laughs> yeah, sure. I imagine if you are seeing most of your creative life distilled into any kind of piece or book or whatever, it's got to be odd. I know. And, I, and from, a, from a perspective of a person who really wasn't, wasn't really there yeah, you know, much. Yeah, no. Or he was a kid at the time, like a lot younger. So. Right, I get it. So I, I, what I wrote back to Jesse and anyone who would listen on Twitter is like, I... I yeah, I enjoyed rereading it. This was like a month or two ago. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it mostly stands up. But if I, I said, like, I, it, my only regret was that I didn't talk to Tara uh, because I mentioned <laughs> right. a few other I mentioned a few other people uh, that you had collaborated with, like the Sadies and uh, whoever. I can't remember who else. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know your universe better than me. But I, I was like, I didn't talk to all of rick's collaborators it was really focused on the eric's trip members in terms of voices but i'll say Mm. it to you now like i regret it because i feel like tara's voice probably would have contributed something really great to that yeah probably she mean she had a she had an interesting angle on that but she she also got blamed a lot you know for certain things and yes exactly that's what i feel bad about because i don't the yoko the yoko character a little bit you know like (laughs) yeah horrible yeah Yeah. and i i I didn't want to contribute to that it was just i you know it's also that structure of those pieces was like fact 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 like just like there's very little writing in a sense it's just like i know that when i submit the complete version that my editor james at the time was just going to chop it to make it fit into the magazine like the online version is way longer so it just becomes like a factual dry sentence stilted almost just like this happened then this happened then this happened so (laughs) you can't get into the nuances of like maybe uh the band was eric's trip was just breaking up and this was normal like he just started (laughs) a new band with a new relationship like it's hard to get into that stuff and uh anyway all this to say i just am curious about that because like I say, I got to see Elevator uh, in its various incarnations many times, and uh, that's that's just a band I miss uh, getting. Yeah. To, I mean, obviously, at this point, as we're speaking, I miss seeing any band. But uh, <laughs> well, Tara worked a lot. She kind of fit in a lot better with what me and Mark had become. You know, like yeah, by the last Eric Strip tour and and record Purple Blue, there it was kind of me and Mark really leading it and making it heavier a bit because Julie and Chris were so detached at that yeah. point. Yeah. So by the time, you know, Elevator started, Tara, she was right there with me and Mark all the time. So uh, she fit in real so good. Yeah. No, as a fan. Her her bass playing kind of suited it, you know, a little even more. Well, it it was a fantastic band. And I'm glad that some of the stuff that we've, uh, some of the records rather are are sort of back in action. So let's let's get to the Blue Fog stuff. It feels like almost a campaign uh, you and Brian have been working really hard. Like I'm just at the Blue Fog Recordings dot Cartel dot com site oh, here yeah. and just looking at all the releases. And for like, there's been some. There's the old Blue Fog stuff, but I feel like this campaign maybe started with the unintended vinyl LP. Is that a fair way of putting it? Or maybe the Toronto Hardcore '83? I don't know. What do you? When did yeah. this? When did this guess- renewed activity begin? I'm trying to think what we did first now. Yeah, it was, uh, was it the unintended one? Or no, it was... Um, There's like Rammer Cancer Vinyl LP. Then it says T.O. Hardcore 83 Vinyl LP, which I feel yeah. like that might have kickstarted what well, I was... No, that was kind of the end of the original. Oh, sort that of was, when, okay. When, when Brian was... We were still doing other bands and stuff. We stopped for a bunch of years because we... Or we didn't want to really worry about doing that anymore. So it just kind of started up again when we wanted to start reissuing. Yeah. 
our own things again. Yeah, so from what I can tell, if we just look at this website, and again, uh, forgive me if this is incorrect, I'm just going by what I see, but I've got here Unintended Vinyl LP, Eric's Trip Warm Girl, Elevator August Extra, Eric's Trip Peter LP, Elevator to Hell Irreconciliation Extra, and then (laughs) Elevator to Hell Extra. And I mean, again, this does not include... uh, your solo record uh, and uh, the record you made with Ein Soft, which we talked about the last time you were on. Anyway, there just seems to be. I like that Blue Fog is kind of back, yeah. and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about. A lot of it is kind of historical releases lately, which is yeah, cool. Well, it's mainly just been that. I guess now we're kind of just like a place to put out my old stuff right now. Like we're kind of treating it like that. We haven't really had the thought to do other bands again or anything. Right. And so what was the impetus? Were you just, you mentioned that you, uh, you get like that someone will put your tape on Discogs and there's an interest in your archival work and you've got all of this stuff. Was that it? Was it just like, well, we should do something with this stuff. Why am I just sitting on it? Like, or were were, were we responding to demand or just like a feeling that it should be out there? Yeah, I guess like, uh, well, people kind of, stuff was starting to get kind of expensive, you know, to, to buy the originals, you know, which I feel good about too, knowing that People still want them to the point where they'll charge a hundred and some bucks for an old pressing, you know. Yeah. I mean, but also at the time when we did the original pressings, like we were doing them as cheap as we could. A lot of the times, you know, we'd silkscreen the covers, which ended up looking cool anyway. Mm-hmm. Or we'd photo stick a glue a photocopy on, or you know, it's just black vinyl. And like when it came to like the August record, that was going to be a double originally, but we could really only afford to do a single. Yeah. So by re you know, re- being able to re-put them out now with really nice, as good a packaging as we can do and nice colored vinyl. I don't know. It's just been a kind of a pleasure for us to be able to do it. Yeah. And we feel lucky that we're managing, we're able to sell enough, just enough like to pay for each one. So we're not losing money yet. So well, I mean, kinda- I'm, I'm looking at this page and this the recent one, Elevator to Hell Parts 1 to 3 Extra, sold out, gone. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, although we are, they didn't give us our full run this time on that one. Oh, so there is an actual like a few more coming. So hopefully there'll be a little more of those for people to get soon. But it, it won't probably last too long. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of them made. Yeah, and all the other ones are kind of getting low too. But yeah, so it's nice to be able to get to sell them all anyway. I've had a few conversations with people about how nutty the pressing plant backups are. I assume you're experiencing that too. Yeah. 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 Luckily, like we've been doing enough lately. We, we're kind of in with them a little bit that they sometimes put it, put us ahead a little bit, you know, but we're still like still four or five months, six months. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wait. So you can't, if you record a new album, you know, you can't really expect it to be out for another six months usually. Yeah. But uh, apparently the precision, the place we're using is getting some more, presses this year so hopefully it'll speed up a little bit oh good that's great now i I can only assume you're flattered by the interest and response to your stuff your older stuff do you have any other perspective on it what what do you think it is about this time for you and for the people buying this stuff and you can ask me if you want because i bought it all but uh (laughs) (laughs) what do you think is going on here for you and for your fans that there's this renewed interest in your stuff in particular I don't know. I guess I've always sort of tried to keep it alive. Like, I've always been proud of my old records, where I think some people get sick of their old records. You know, they want to move on and, oh, I hate that old stuff, you know. Yeah. I guess I'm able to see that there was a time in my life when I was probably the most creative 
and the most like just powerful in my creation. Like I felt like I, my voice was better, you know, my playing was better. <laughs> I was younger, a little more, you know, able to do, I can still, I can still do it, but, uh, yeah, I just feel like at that age, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties, I was probably at my most, most creative. So a lot of that stuff I still look back on as being some of the best stuff I had made. Mm. And I think people, you know, people always look back to the stuff they were into when they were younger, maybe, and think of it as good. <laughs> you know, when they were when they were young. I think that's what how it, what why Eric Strip is still seen that way because it was a part of a time for people in their lives. Yeah, yeah. And I think most of the people buying the records are you know, of my age or in their forties. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. That's definitely <laughs> me. Like, I mean, but for me, it's not nostalgic. Uh, it's, it's that, I mean, in some cases, like I say, I, I have a, a copy already of, of what is now known as parts one to two on vinyl. I have yeah. August, I have most of the stuff already, but yeah. there was an impulse for me to support you and also check out, like I say, I've been blown away by these songs I've never heard before that came out, what is it, 20, uh, no, longer, what, almost 30 years ago? I don't know, whatever it's been. It's been forever. And yeah, uh, I was thinking when I was putting this together, I was 50. I mean, I'm 51 now, but I was 50, and I recorded this when I was 25, so it was pretty much exactly half my life ago. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's sort of, uh, but I, I, all I'll say on behalf of some of your fans is I, I don't think it's nostalgia. It's just there's a warm feeling for you and your work, not just... See, the thing is, sometimes people buy stuff from this era because it reminds them of their youth. And I'm trying to say that I'm sure I'm not alone in saying I'm not trying to revisit my youth. This was formative and important to me. You are, right. and this music is. But it's not just that. I want to I, I want to hear more. Like, the fact that you these extra editions are really incredible for that. Yeah, and, it's nice. I, I'm glad to be able to have some extra stuff to put. Like, because uh, sometimes I feel like I'm putting out too much music, but people seem to like... Uh, hearing the extra stuff or having the bonus second album, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so speak, I'm, Yeah, I'm really glad. I don't think you're putting out too much stuff. In fact, that is a nice segue into this uh, discussion about where it's fine. The last time right. you and I connected, um, when I went to your place there, uh, I think the release with, uh, the collaborative release with Einsoff yeah. was just that out. just come out, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So other than that... Uh, what's the spacing between a proper Rick White album? Uh, when was the last time you put one out before Where It's Fine? I think it was 137. Besides the besides the work I did with Julie's record, yes, the So Many Days record, which I pretty much played, I played almost everything on that one. Mm -hmm. So I kind of treat that almost like one of my records, even though it was all Julie's songs and her singing. But the last record of my own solo stuff I did was uh, 137, which was 2009, I guess. Right. So It would have been... Like, yeah, pretty much 10 years or 12, 11 years. <laughs> yeah, so back to my comment. I don't think you're, for us, you're not putting out too much music. I get what you're saying. Like, you're doing all these reissue or issuing <laughs> things uh, from the past, but... Well, but I didn't even do that really in that time off. I kind of went away from music for a lot of years altogether. Yes, so. yes. So what... Bro about 2012, yeah. Uh, 2012, you stopped? Is that what you mean? Yeah, around 2012, I stopped kind of recording music hmm. altogether and... Got into the different hobbies, like I said, like building little models and trucks and things and yeah. stuff that was a little more, I don't know, I compared it to being, making stuff like that just seemed more black and white to me, like where art and making music was so, so vague and it could, you know, there was no right and wrong to it and I kind of started getting really blurry. Yeah. 
in the mind about trying to make art, like what was good, what was bad. And then by getting into making physical little things, and it just seemed more, uh, like I said, more black and white. Like I had more direction of what was, how to do it. <laughs> and it was kind of good for my head, I think, to get out of that, that really blurry creative space and more into a building things, you know, and yeah, it, so, it made more sense to me. And then once, you know, I kind of got back into wanting to make music again eventually, but it took a while. Do you know what's, I appreciate your explanation as to why you needed to step away. That all checks out. I, I can see that. And I think we've talked about that before, actually. But can we go back to why you, what what spurred you to come back, so to speak? And, and then within that, uh, when you began working on Where It's Fine? Hmm, uh, I guess the first thing I did when I came back was that single that I did on Bandcamp. There's a song mm-hmm. called Tomorrow mm-hmm. that uh, kind of explains you know, kind of explains the that what I just said about, you know, getting blurry and just kind of wanting to come back, wanting to realize what made me like to do music again. And Yeah, that's and 2018, I, 2018, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. That yeah. was one of the first little songs I did, and it was, it was kind of interesting because I didn't even have any recording stuff set up for so many years, and then I just got the urge kind of one, one day to get my Pro Tools kind of set up going again and... Mm-hmm set up the drums and <laughs> kind of set up this whole area again and just started, just kind of came back and started recording again. Right. Like I, and then I started the Eye in the Soft uh, project shortly after, which we did for quite a while, like all through a, a winter, it was six months or so we worked on that together. Yeah. So those are the things that spurred you on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we had talked over the years when I wasn't making music about how It'd be nice to make something together, me and her, because we had been chatting a lot online, and I liked her music quite a lot, you know, and I had worked on her mixing one of her records. And then, so I guess one of the first things I did when I came back was kind of to start, I said, well, that'll be good inspiration, you know, to just try to write write a few songs, send them to her, and she'll add a bunch of stuff. And then when I would get her tracks back, that would inspire me to do more stuff, you know. And it was a good way of kind of getting myself back, back into it. With some bit of extra inspiration, <laughs> yeah, and it was so it was fun. I mean, that's yeah. the main thing. It was just fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like she's very creative, and she does stuff like I wouldn't do. So when you get tracks back from someone, you go, "Whoa!" You, know, you don't expect what she would have added to it. You're like, "Wow, that's neat," you know? Yeah, and then gets you going. I know you have a sense of fun. Like uh, I'm, I'm looking at your bandcamp page now the rick white archive bandcamp page and i don't remember when you recorded it but and sometime in 2021 you released a cover uh of uh, a cover of sloan's entire peppermint ep but you didn't oh, re- yeah <laughs> when did you record that again uh i don't know i guess almost a year ago maybe now oh it was week. actually a fresh recording for some reason i thought maybe it was an older thing that you just dug up i couldn't remember that part. well i was going through old old uh, files like just songs because uh, I had dubbed all my old dat master dat tapes with all my stereo mixes from 95 to like 99 yeah I borrowed a dat machine and dubbed everything onto digital so I could have all the files again yeah and I'd heard an old cover I did of Lucky For You hmm? Lucky For Me <laughs> yeah that's Lone Song and I was like fuck I remember I forgot all about doing this like <laughs> well, why did I do this again and, and ended up I think it was for a uh, a compilation back then, but it never happened. And then I started listening to Sloan again that week because of this song. I was listening to the records on, you know, iTunes or something. And and then I listened to the Peppermint EP again, and I, and I was like, had Marcus said stuck in my head. 
And I was like, I'm going to try recording that just for fun. Yeah. And I recorded a Marcus Said version, and then I ended up just doing the whole EP. Nice. I mean, it's a nice relationship between uh, your world, I guess, let's say your whole world, yeah. and Sloan, where the two artists or the entities would, would actually cover each other. I actually just got the, uh, this is sort of unrelated, but I, I finally decided to buy the, uh, is it called Ide the Nord, the single? Yeah, right. I bought it on vinyl for the first, I had it on CD, like a little, it was a little slim case CD, and I probably got it at the time that it came out. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, for those who don't know, it features. Uh, let me see if I have this right. Wait, is the band called Ida the Nord? No, it's never yeah. mind the. Sorry, it's called Never Mind the Mollusk. Sorry. Oh I yeah, got that. that's with Sloan and Jail and Eric Strip and Idea Idea of North. Yes, that's right. Sorry, Ida so, the Nord. Ida yeah. the Nord. That's right. So I got that finally. I got a mint condition copy. Isn't Discogs and the world wonderful right now? You can just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you put a little money forth and you get this archive thing that you can't get anywhere else, and it's great. Uh, sort yeah. of. It's a bit of a compulsion for me that I need to stop. But anyway. It was really fun uh, just seeing the because that that uh, that it's a double seven inch and the camaraderie on display in the photo of you the group photo of you guys and oh, yeah. thinking back to that time where everything was pretty innocent and Sloan and Eric Strip would play shows together and you know Sloan yeah. I think somewhat famously uh, for that DGC Rarities Volume One compilation featured them covering Eric's trip like. That's, yeah, that's pretty. That ex- was originally for a seven-inch uh, cinnamon toast seven-inch that we we did a laying blame by them, and they did stove and smother. Yeah, exactly. Like I like that was always nice to me. Like even those little things felt like, oh, this is a real community of people. <laughs> so when you put out the peppermint EP uh, recordings that you did, I thought this like it's so nice. Like it's just it's a nice thing mm-hmm. that these people are still connected and doing stuff and and thinking of other uh, thinking of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, Sloan and I have uh, Sloan and us have always been really connected, even though we've never been super close because we've never really lived in the same cities, you know. But we always have known each other good, and yeah, and have seemed to be have a real connection together because ever since those times, and we've always really you know respected each other. Yeah, and it's an interesting relationship. Yeah, it's neat no, that it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm I heard I heard recently Chris Murphy in connection to the elevator is him saying he was mad. When that first Elevator record came out, because he thought it should have been an Eric Strip record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because to him, you know, he has that mentality of keeping Sloan together. And all these years, he's really fought to keep Sloan together by giving, trying to get, give his best songs to them and making a real unit. And, and me and the opposite, I took all my best songs and made my <laughs> own record, you know, with it. So is that, to your reckoning, yeah. Chris is a loyal. Yeah, Chris so. is a loyalist, and I know he had these sort of like concerns when Tons came together. The band he's in with Matt Murphy, and not concerns. I don't want to speak on Chris's behalf, but I think yeah, that's on his just, mind. He was probably just worried that the rest of the band was going to make solo records too, and he's like, oh no. Yeah, and then the pandem- <laughs> pandemic happened, and each of them did do little solo performances yeah. that they'd never done before. And Chris has had a few different side projects. Actually, it kind of exploded. It went from like. He wouldn't do any, I thought, to he's in like four of them that I'm aware of right now or something, three or four of them. And so, yeah, I can see him taking that um, team orthodoxy thing like, Rick, this should be Eric Strip. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you starting a new thing? So it's just a it's a thing with him. And I appreciate it. It's it's a loyalty thing. I don't think it's selfish. I think it's a loyalty thing for him. 
And I think he loved Eric Strip for what we were too. The the, the four cartoon characters that we were. Yeah. You know? He got to he got to see us. He saw us the first time we ever played Halifax, and and we met each other and just got to realize we were both bands just starting that had kind of the same ideas. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. And we were the only ones in our own cities that had those ideas <laughs> at the time. So we were like, we felt like, oh, a kindred, kindred spirit from another city, you know. So we we bonded quick early on and slowly yeah. separated our sound in our way, you know. But in the really early days, we were both had a lot of the same influences for sure. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit in the time we have left about where it's fine. This came out in 2021. I believe you did most of the recording yeah. in the spring of 2020 and then... Again, the following year, the following spring, uh, 2021. So yeah. that is pandemic times. That is isolation times. Again, little difference for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, does to, to your reckoning, does this material reflect this time period? Yeah. In a, in, sorry, in terms of a news way. I don't mean, of course, it reflects the time period. But does it reflect the feelings we had? Does it reflect the tension and all that stuff? Probably, yeah, a little bit. I mean, because I, I, I see it, you know, on, I still go through Facebook and stuff and see the social media and people, how they're dealing with it. And uh, like I said, it's not very different the way I live here, but I, there is still the, there was still the fear for a lot of, a lot of the time that, you know, you're going to end up in a hospital, can't breathing, you know, and yeah. I've had breathing problems my whole life. So it's a nightmare usually thinking of, not being able to breathe. <laughs> yes, of course. So, you know, the the fear of that part of the uh, virus is, is quite scary. So you always have that in the back of your head, even though I'm not, I don't go anywhere. Uh, I still, you know, still could come across it. That is so my that biggest, did, that's my biggest fear too, by the way. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll admit that to you, like breathing stuff. If my, sometimes I have like, this is going to sound terrible and I have anxiety and I admit it, but like, I can't go to the dentist because my nose, I, I hate going to the dentist because my nose gets stuffed up and I don't like it. I feel like I can't breathe because they're in my mouth. And then mm-hmm. at night, sometimes my nose gets stuffed up and I have, I have to get out of bed and do like a pacing to try yeah. to clear it out. It's really weird. And I don't understand it, where it can, where it comes from. I'll just admit that on the record. <laughs> I have some fear of uh, suffocation, I guess. Oh yeah. No, it's scary. Yeah. It's uh, when you can't get a deep breath. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, feels like drowning. It is, and I have a fear of well, the water because of this too. I, I took yeah. in water when I was a kid in swimming lessons, and I don't swim still because I rejected it. And yeah, I couldn't breathe. So I think that's yeah. probably where it comes from. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Then enough about me. Yeah, well, I feel. <laughs> just saying. So yeah, so the pandemic, you know, does affect everybody. Even though, you know, even though you're not out in it all the time, you still fear it. Yeah. So I'm sure it did affect the record. A little bit. Some of the songs, you know, like uh, some of the songs are a little spooky. And some of the songs are the usual sort of escapism type of songs, you know, like staying away from everything. And, but uh, I think that's pretty typical of my solo my solo work. <laughs> well, the central... So I, think, the, I think the songs yeah. are quite a bit like, you know, my old stuff in a way. A little bit new sounding. Yeah. My voice is a little... My voice might be a little, a little deeper these days. Yes. I know you've mentioned your... The the shift in your voice is something that uh, you're aware of, at least. I don't think you're worried about it, but it's just something you're you're conscious of. Let's put it that way. Yeah, what's well, mostly like sometimes it's clear, but if I talk for a while, it's, it's just from that uh, stomach issues I have. Kind of burns my esophagus a bit. Oh, okay. 
Well, so listen, excuse, I don't want to screws with my vocal cords. <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. We, we'll wrap this up soon because this is probably the long, right. most you've talked to anyone today. I'm guessing. I don't know, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I think that's the problem. I don't talk very much, so when I do, it's like, whoops, my voice. Yeah, not used to this. I, when I do vocal tracks now too, I can't really do them too many times in a row. But right, I got the same stuff. You and I are yeah. similar. I, I my voice after a while. Even though this is a thing I do all the time, yeah, some I can feel it sometimes. I want to, <laughs> yeah, sure. I do want to ask you about what I view as like a the key track on some level or the most unique track is the title track, uh, where it's fine, which is like almost fourteen minutes long. Uh, oh right, it's almost like a, uh, I don't know, like a krautrock type feeling or something. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, yeah, well, the first half is kind of like a just the joy of being here. I think you know it kind of explains. Being somewhere where it's just nice and appreciating everything right here is fine, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as it goes on, though, it becomes just this mesmerizing, hypnotic thing. Uh, and it, oh, yeah, it's right. really, it, it, it kind of transportative, if that makes any sense. Like, I kind of feel like, whoa, it doesn't really alter that much. Uh, yeah, it just sort of grows and swirls around a bit. A bit different than the rest of the record. What, what's, what inspired you to, to do that and not make it, you know, the rest of the songs are clocking in at three minutes or less or mostly anyway what made you want to kind of go on go on on a a bit of a trip I usually really like songs that are short and and concise you know I try to I always try to work down a song in a way to try to get it down to the shortest version it can be because I don't like the biggest I still mostly listen to mid 60s kind of pop songs you know like my favorite era is that 64 to 66 sort of before it became psychedelic yes yes i just really like the the catchiness and the simpleness of a lot of that pop songs from that era yeah and i think that influences my writing a lot over the years is that kind of stuff but uh so usually i try to keep the song sort of short and concise but i, I always like having one song that'll it kind of will take take you away a little bit like that yeah even on the iron soft record the last song the castle was kind of similar to that a bit yeah no, it's it's really cool, and I like it. Uh, I'll tell you one thing real quick here, Rick. Uh, we have a neighborhood cat that sometimes comes into the house. Oh, yeah. He wants to stop by and just visit, so we were like, the neighbors are like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. So we let him in. This has happened to me before, by the way. I inherited it. I actually started owning a cat by this, and I'm not, this is not a scam. I'm not some guy <laughs> who moves into town and then just steals everyone's cats. He just likes to stop by sometimes, and the kids like him. Anyway, sometimes he's a vocal cat. So anyway, I had your oh, record yeah. playing one day on the record player in the living room. And then I started to hear a cat. And I was like, oh, is the cat in the house? And it wasn't. I was like, that didn't sound like the neighborhood cat. Why is there another <laughs> cat in the house? And then I realized it was the record. Is there a cat on this record? Yeah, right at the end, my little buddy, Oranges, who passed away yeah. before the record came out. I recorded her one day while I was doing tracks. She's very vocal, too. And uh, she would always come up, you know, and talk to me and stuff. <laughs> and I put the mic down and just say, you know, Right in front of her, and she just started, you know, doing her little chatting. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really glad to have that on the end of a track, so I ended up cutting it and putting it right at the end of the record like that. That's oh, very sweet, and I'm sorry so for can, the loss of your cat. I, I Yeah. I still, you can hear me say, yeah. sort of like, want to say hi, you know? And she's like, <laughs> meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sweet and very cute and all those sorts of things, but it did make yeah. me miss my cat, because I've never quite gotten over loss of Gary the cat. My cat is... Yeah, I know. Gone. She was a real test for me, because I'm, I'm allergic to cats. Like Oh, I've never really wanted to live with a cat, but uh, when I moved here, Brian had two cats, so I was like, ugh. I, so I started taking allergy medicine every day. Oh. And then right as they were starting to get old and sick, this little 
orange cat showed up homeless at the door when in, in the freezing cold. Oh. And she just got up and hugged my leg, and she was like, please, you know, like, help me. And I was like, ah, I don't know what to do, you know. Mm. So we let her stay on the porch for a few weeks, and then she ended up coming right in the house and living here. But she was the fuzziest, like, shettiest cat ever. <laughs> oh, no, for your allergies. <laughs> so, and I just yeah. couldn't get rid of her because I was like, she, she, she was the most loving buddy I think I've ever had oh. as far as an animal goes. Yeah. She just thought I was the best. You know? They're very grateful when you help them. That's what happened with Gary. Like I always took care of him the most, and he. Oh yeah. Valued, she never had that. Yeah. She never had that attitude of like, "I'm the king." You know, it was always like, "Oh, thanks, man." Yeah, yeah. No, it's thanks, it's lovely. Know? They they are truly these little personalities, and I I know some yeah. people are like, "Big deal. You lost your dog. You lost your cat." Well, I don't know. It's not. It's not as easy as you think. It's the. It's, in some ways, it's a more helpless character than almost anyone else in your life. And you feel very yeah. responsible for them. So when they go, I felt like disappointed in myself a little bit. Did I screw something up? Uh, I mean, yeah. it's unreasonable because you never know when your pet will go. They go. Yeah. Yeah. Same with the oranges. She got something kind of wrong with her. She was only about 13 or 14, but we just yeah. couldn't fix, couldn't help her anymore, you know? And I just felt, you feel responsible, like, but you can't, you know, you don't want her to suffer any longer. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gary just went suddenly and it... Yeah, haunts me. I, I, I. It's a joke, but I honestly have never. I, I say that I haven't really been happy since I lost my cat, and I feel like that's when I really. Some there, there's some to that. I don't think I'm making that up. I'm happy, but I'm also like, just a little embittered more yeah. since that cat went away. It just didn't feel right or fair or whatever. Well, and, we're uh, we're trying to go without here too, just for a while, you know, like because it's yeah, so much less hair everywhere, and my allergies yeah. are a lot less. <laughs> but yeah. we're both missing, you know, having a buddy around. But yeah. So we'll see. Well, uh, there's a, as you might imagine here, we have two children and they're clamoring for some sort of creature to yeah. be in the house. So we're going to probably give in at some point uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and hopefully it, it works out. But uh, anyway, Rick, uh, I, I really appreciate this uh, uh, conversation about all your activities. And within that, two things. Can you tell us anything uh, that might be coming up uh, for you or for Blue Fog? And and also, uh, well, uh, yeah. Still always more reissues on the, on the plate. Like, uh, I I'm I have a bunch of new ones ready to go, kind of already. So, I think we're about to get the next one started pretty soon. Do you mean you have them in the house? They've arrived. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I just have them like designed and mastered. And oh, okay, great, great. Everything ready to go off to the print, printing plant. Okay, awesome. Yeah, just more of the more more old stuff. I haven't started working on anything new yet, but uh, but the few new reissues coming. Okay, great. Awesome. Is that in 2022, maybe? Yeah, one one for sure. Hopefully a couple. Sweet. Okay, but well, I, yeah. I appreciate you wanting to keep them a surprise. We'll wait till we see them. <laughs> I like it. It's always fun because I, I feel lucky. I want to disengage from social media sometimes a lot, but then I'm like, I will miss Rick or Blue Fog announcing <laughs> a new record because that's usually how I find out and then I go and order it and... Luckily, oh, I, I get the, I get them when they uh, show up. Or we when don't they, do any of the we don't do any of the normal uh, record label things. We don't advertise or do any marketing. We just kind of post on my yeah. Facebook. Yeah, and uh, I think, hope, I think hopefully can, people share with each other. You know, and, yeah. If you uh, if people um, whatever it is subscribe to your Bandcamp or Big Cartel newsletter, if there is one. Do you learn that? Can we learn that way? I never. I always just see it on Instagram. Yeah, or we have a big, big fog or blue. A big. We have a blue fog recordings <laughs> uh, Instagram page too. So, 
That's probably a good way for people to see you. But we always advertise or we'll say when the new stuff's coming. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on those things. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. And I guess, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. That's where people should go to learn more about you and uh, Blue Fog is uh, your socials or anywhere else? Yeah, probably Blue Fog, Blue Fog Recordings Instagram would probably be the best place. Because other okay. than that, it's just my private Inst- my private Facebook kind of. Right, right. And you don't want that. You don't want that hassle. <laughs> Why would you want that? Yeah, we usually uh, get no. a lot of the same people buying anyway, so... And we and we we send usually a bunch to Fab now too. So um, check Fab distribution. So check your record stores. Ask them to get stuff in. We usually send yeah, at I, least three hundred or so to them. So yeah, I saw that uh, here in Edmonton, uh, Blackbird, which is a, a record store in town, on their Instagram, were showing off their their copies of uh, oh, Elevator to Hell Extra. So oh, good. Yeah, yeah it's so nice. They, to, they got them. Nice yeah. to see them get around a bit like that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Um, okay, now, if there's a song that we can go out on that maybe reflects this conversation, I wonder if you would uh, choose one and let me know, and let us know, rather, why you chose it. Hmm. Maybe there's a song on the extra tracks that wasn't even on the cassette. It's, there's only one song on this whole thing that's completely unreleased, and it's the song My Fog. Okay. I just found it was a catchy little song that I forgot all about when I was uh, remastering all these songs. And, uh, yeah, it's a good little catchy pop song from back in the day. Is it a coincidence that you picked the song with Fog in the title, given that the label is Blue Fog? Exactly, yeah. Is this just you being a sly salesman? Just slyly? <laughs> I didn't really think of that, but, yeah, it's a good, it worked. <laughs> yeah, this is, I think, something of a love song. Is that fair to say? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And a, okay. Looking through your fog for getting out of the getting out of the fog to find the things you need to. Yeah, absolutely. All <laughs> right. Well, this is a very kind uh, and generous selection because, as you say, it's a it's a rarity on some level, but it is on this excellent new uh, Rick White release, Elevator to Hell Parts One to Three Extra. So let's uh, yeah, let's play it. This is my fog. Yes. Rick, thank you so much, as always, for talking to me. I know you don't do a lot of this stuff, so I, I consider it a privilege and an honor and all those sorts of things, and uh, I uh, hope you thank- enjoyed yourself, and, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Yeah, thanks, man. You Same to you. I feel... Looking around 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that exclusive music from the new Elevator to Hell Parts 1 to 3 Extra album. I mean, it's exclusive in that. I mean, it's not exclusive. It's out. You can go get it. It's out on Bandcamp if you can find it. Anyway, thanks again to Rick White. It's always such a treat and a pleasure to have Rick on the show. Uh, This is his second time on the show. He doesn't do, like I said, I don't think he does much of this stuff. So it's just really a sweet, sweet uh, pleasure for me. So thank you very much, Rick, for appearing on this, the 666th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast there's no other way this show makes money that's how the podcasts work i don't know if you knew that you don't get money from all the places it's on you get money from uh, people like you on patreon or merch or touring or i don't know we're just supposed to figure it out on our own so we, we just give the podcast to all these companies and they put them out which is good i guess but they don't give us any money anyway what am i ranting to you for what i was going to say is six dollars or more on the patreon grants you access to exclusive content uh, from the show 
Uh, by the way, there will be some exclusive uh, bonus content from this Rick White interview up on our Patreon very soon, if it's not already by the time you hear this. And uh, you can, like I say, you can donate whatever you want, and you can change it whenever you want. Uh, but $6 or more a month grants you access to that content. Also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon, and I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and place special orders at blackbird.ca. And also to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. If you want to learn more about those places and our Patreon, all the links should be in the podcast description, so check those things out. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Rick White. Rick was on episode 500, so if you want to check out that old episode, I encourage you to do so. That's the one we were alluding to when I visited him in the country. And, uh, yeah, otherwise, thanks. Thanks for listening and for subscribing to the podcast or following it and telling your friends about it and doing the same and spreading the word about it. It all means a lot, and I appreciate it, and I will talk to you very soon. Take care of yourself. Bye for now. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.